Here we go. Psalm 1 says uh, that, that we're to, uh, that the man of God loves, you don't have to go there, just listen, that the man of God loves the law of the Lord and that he meditates on it day and night. That word meditates means like to murmur. So the law of the Lord is literally on my lips day and night, that I can murmur it over myself day and night. Listen to Psalm 119. I just want to, uh, I just want to read this over you beginning in verse 97. It says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Don't quote that to your professors. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Why do we love theology? Why ought we be adamant? about diving into the scriptures and knowing the word of God because for us, it's life. For those who have been redeemed, it's the words of God. It's life. It's our sustenance. And so we love it because it's sweet to us and it gives us the ability to live uh, and know God uh, by his Holy Spirit. So you have honey in your spoon. And we're going to dig into the word this morning. And I just want you to get a taste. I mean, the, the psalmist says that it is sweeter than honey to my lips. So go ahead and, and sample your sort of honey. And let's pray. God, we ask that as even just as on that, that taste is on our lips, there's that sweet taste is on our tongue. We just ask God that your word would be even more so sweet in our lives. Father, we ask that you would give us a deep burning desire to know you and to walk with you. God, to love your word. God, we just ask that by your spirit that you would give us that desire to know your word, to study it, to memorize it. God, to understand what you're saying. God, we ask that we would be people who could meditate on your law day and night, that literally you would make it uh, where we could just recite your word over ourselves day and night. God, give us that level of connection with your scripture, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we go. You ready? That's good, man. That's good. That's actually, I didn't make that up. That's an old rabbi trick, huh? That's, uh, I remember the first time I read about it, the rabbis would put honey on the, on, the, uh, on the slate of their students before they would begin. Um, and, uh, and actually, this would have been true, uh, probably a, a true custom in Jesus' time. They would put honey on the slate, and then the students would, would lick that slate before they even began. So totally clean slate before school even began. And then they would begin to teach and instruct for years and years and years of their lives uh, based on the word of God. It's a, it's a beautiful picture, um, not original here, but a wonderful, wonderful picture. Okay, so we've been in Hebrews chapter 5, and before we go any further, we have some important business to take care of. I really need to know, uh, if, you are a, uh, if you believe that the Panthers will win tonight, stand up. Oh, seriously, all right. If you believe that the Broncos will win tonight, stand up. You can't be neutral. Lots of you didn't even stand up. Okay, so, <laughs> all right, if you don't care at all, stand up. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> Sit down. Okay, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Hey, and also, uh, before we get into it, just want to, uh, so you guys know that World Mandate is coming, and you're pumped and excited, and you're inviting friends. It's only 10 bucks. Just get your friend a ticket. I mean, it, it'll, be, it'll be wonderful. But we have this really cool opportunity next week. Um, there's rumor. Now, it is just a rumor. It is only a rumor. But there's rumor that Francis Chan will actually be here next Sunday morning, like in the flesh. There's a rumor. I don't know if it's actually true or not, but there's a rumor that he might actually be here to promote World Mandate. So I don't know. Hang on. We'll see. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 5. Wouldn't that just blow your minds if I got Francis here? Man, we just wouldn't that blow your minds. You'd be so proud of me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen just for you. All right. Here we go. We're going to read it all together. No pressure, Francis. No pressure. All right. He listens to our podcast. That was a joke, guys. So. <laughs> Okay, here we go. We're going to read. Now, we're going to do this every single week, all right? While we're studying this passage, we're going to read the whole thing. So don't get bored of that. Just, let's just keep reading and understand where we are. Verse 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of God, uh, sorry, doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God uh, permits. So this is, the, this is the list. This is the focus of our study. And I, I spoke about it last week and the week before. I'll do so briefly. But this is obviously pinned to a church that is on the fence, okay? So there's, there's, uh, they're deep enough in their walk with the Lord that he can, uh, he can talk about this list. He just lists it, right? He doesn't go in and explain all of these different things. So he, they know a lot. But their problem is not their knowing. Their problem is their doing, that their basic theology is not informing their lifestyle. And we talked about how that's got to be accountability for us, that profound and deep theology is not knowing the complicated things, it's putting into practice the simple things that we do know. Are you with me? 
That's the basis of theology. And this is where they had fallen off. They weren't putting into practice the things that they knew. And he says, so I, we don't need to lay again this foundation. And so my question and the reason that this began uh, as, a, as a, uh, a series that we're going through is I kind of went, okay, do we, know, do we know what this list even is? Do we know about these, uh, this list that he gives that he assumes is this uh, basic foundation? And so that's kind of where we have started. If you've missed uh, the first two weeks, they give an overview of, uh, of more of the uh, book of Hebrews and of, of this specific passage. I'm not going to do that today. We need to get going. So we're going to start in the list. Now, there's a few things we need to talk about within the list uh, so that we are clear on how it's, actually, uh, how it's actually laid out. So the first thing is, he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So the literal translation of that is let us leave the, uh, the teachings of the beginnings of Christ. Okay, so that the elementary principles, right? He says, let, it's the, uh, um, let us leave the elementary, uh, sorry, the teachings of the beginnings of Christ. So there, there's a question then, what does that mean? The teachings of the beginning of Christ. Does this mean that, that the, the list that we're about to get, uh, are we supposed to leave uh, and go on into maturity? And is the list we're about to get, is it a list of things that Christ taught? Or is it a list of things taught about Christ? You with me? So one category would be, okay, we would, uh, things that Christ taught. We would examine the Sermon on the Mount. This would be things that he, uh, that he taught principles that Christ taught. And then the, on the other side of that is, is uh, things taught about Christ. So the, the scholars are a little bit divided on this, on which one it is, and there's actually really no definitive uh, point of clarity. But here's the deal. They're both almost the exact same thing. The only thing that we get on the back end where we say things taught about Christ is we get this understanding, which is present in the book of Hebrews, of things like the, the priesthood uh, of Christ, that after he has lived and, uh, and died and been resurrected, right? We get this perspective of who he is because he's fulfilled the prophetic word. So there's a little bit, there's a few more layers added on, but it's essentially the same thing. So we're not gonna worry about it, okay? You with me? So just in case, okay, you, uh, you looked worried or is that, okay, is that worried? Is that a worry face? Okay, you looked worried. I wanted to relieve your worry. There's no definitive point of clarity, but the, the list is, is, uh, is overlap. Here's the next thing we got to do. What is the list? So is the list, that, that, now let's, let's read it. Let's just make sure we're all on the same page. So he says, go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of, here we go, repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Okay, that's the list. Now here's the question. Is the list, are those all separate things? Is he making, he says, okay, let's go on. Here's the basics, and here's the list of the basics. Item one, right? Item two, item three. Is it that kind of list, or do they somehow go together? Again, this is a, uh, a topic or a question that there's a little bit of, uh, of division on. There's some question on, but uh, and so I'll give you just a couple of options. Number one is that it's a list, okay, that they're, that they're separate. This is a list of the basic foundation, okay? Now, the, the, the uh, positive, I guess, of that is that he presents it like a list. The negative of that viewpoint is it doesn't really fit in the context of the letter, right? For it to just, he, he talks about laying again a foundation. It doesn't really fit in the context of a letter for it just to be this list of basic principles of Christ. And here's the other thing. There's a lot more things that we could add on that list. 
I mean, that's not a full and complete list. If this is just the basic elements of Christ, there's other things that we could add on here that aren't present. So I don't really feel like that that is the, the, the reason that the list, or sorry, the, the, uh, the makeup of the list. All right, you guys with me? Here's where I think, that, and, and this is the other opinion, and this is where we're gonna, what we're going to use. The other thought is that he, the first item of the list, a foundation, and that word's important, of repentance from dead works and faith towards God gives us a broad foundation, okay? What he's doing, that word foundation is important, that this list, they actually all go together. The first element of that list is a big overarching theme of what those other individual pieces of the list are going to fill in, and it's all a foundation, all right? So this seems to make a lot more sense within the context of the passage, but, uh, but do you know what a foundation is? You, you understand the word foundation? So uh, a foundation is the basis. I think I've got a picture of, of foundation here. Okay, I want to I show you something. Now, this is not an elaborate foundation, but it's, it's, it's going to serve our, our purposes. So a foundation is, is not just one piece of material. I think you probably, you, you know, foundations can be made a lot of different ways. But if you just think about a basic slab of a house, you think, well, that's just concrete, right? It's not. Now, that foundation, though it's one unit and you'd call it a foundation, that foundation actually has a lot of different elements in it, okay? Uh, one of those things is, now, I don't, you, don't, you can't quite see it here, but one of those, you see this, there's sand on the bottom. So there's dirt work that has to get done. There's a base layer of dirt that has to uh, create the base so that there's a level foundation. You can't just start pouring concrete everywhere because concrete's going to form to whatever is below it. And if it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be level. It's not going to be. It'll you know have varying thicknesses. You see, there there's another uh, element in there. All those uh, squares, those are made out of rebar. And that rebar helps that, that foundation, the concrete, once it's poured, will grab around that rebar and it gives it tons and tons of extra strength. Now, when this is all done and a house is ready to be built or a shop, whatever this is going to be, we would just look at it and say, that's the foundation. But the foundation has lots of different elements in it. And that's the way we need to see this list. Are you with me? The, the, the big overarching view is that, that, that this is a foundation. And here's some elements that are within this basic foundation. So... The biggest one, the most broad stroke is foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And all these other, other things in the list add into that foundation. You guys with me? Yeah? Seriously? Okay, good. So that's the way we're going to, that's the way we're going to study. I know some, for some of you that may be totally boring, but we've got to arrive at a basis for how we're going to see the list. And that's the way we're going to see the list. This is the foundation of, uh, of faith, Okay. And the broadest stroke that he paints is in that first one. And that's what we're going to study. We're going to study this morning uh, the first element of the first one on the list. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk of uh, repentance from dead works. Now, I will say this. Uh, those two, uh, go, first two go together. Okay? That and is really important. It ties them together. But for time constraints, we've got to just look at one at a time. So next week, we're going to talk about the, the and faith towards God. You with me? Because uh, that's, that's super important. But we first have to understand what does repentance from dead works actually look like. Okay? So that's what we're going to look at. What is repentance from dead works? And again, I'm not going to get, that's as detailed as we're going to get in terms of the breakdown of this passage. That's not really our purpose here but we needed to have a basis for understanding. We needed to have our own foundation for studying this text. Do you agree? All right. 
Whew, tough crowd. Hey, and by the way, uh, just little little ways that you can, you know, if you go, man, how do you learn this stuff? How do you, it's because I'm brilliant, and, um, and I, no, I, it's not. There's so many great, great resources. One of the things, if you want to really dive in and study a text, one of the best free resources I can recommend to you is blueletterbible.org. Uh, just, just go to blueletterbible.org. They have an app, and it comes with, what's really cool is you can look at the, the Greek and the Hebrew of different words. It's all free. Uh, you can look at different commentaries, so you can really kind of dig in on your own and, and study passages. I would tell you, if you're going to study a passage, first thing you do, read the whole thing first. Read the whole letter of, uh, you know, if you're going to read, uh, if you want to study Hebrews chapter 6, read all of Hebrews, the whole thing, one sitting. Read it out loud to yourself. And do that a couple of times before you start breaking down specific passages. Figure out what is the overall meaning here. What is the, what is the thrust of the letter? Then go in and then ask yourself. Don't ask anyone else. Don't ask your buddy. Don't ask a commentary. What is this saying? And get your own basis for what the passage is saying. Where you have questions, where you have issues, then go into something like a commentary and different studies and see if it reinforces or disagrees with your idea. Where it disagrees, uh, then then ask more questions, right? Just a basic foundation for studying passages, but blueletterbible.org is a great place to start. All right. Man, I feel like we've had so many side notes. Did I tell you Francis Chan might be here next week? Okay. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. You know what I thought was really interesting about that first one? Really just in, like I said, in this overall reading that caught my eye, the word dead. So he says, repentance from dead works. You know what? I was thinking, okay, how would we probably say this? What would be the thing that we would say? I don't know that we would use the word dead. What would we say? We'd say repentance from the bad things that you do, right? Repentance from bad works, right? That's what we seem to be most concerned about. Let's repent from the bad things that we do. And he doesn't use that terminology. He doesn't say repent from bad behavior. He says repent from dead works. So I, that's what I want to really look at this morning is what, is that, what does that word mean? And what are the differences between dead works and bad works. Well, in this context, who is this uh, overall, who is this written to? Okay, yeah, there we go. So, right, there's, there is definitely a Hebrew Jewish grid that this is, that this is written through, okay? And we have, to, we have to understand that. So one of the things, and we'll see it, because he says faith towards God. He doesn't say faith towards Christ. Why does he say that? Is he, is he eliminating Christ? We're going to talk about that next week. He's not at all, but this is written through a Jewish grid, so we have to understand it that way. But the first thing is that in, in, the, in the Jewish mind, when he says repent from dead works, the viewpoint was that the works of the law, meaning the doing of the law, the things that, and the law being the things that Moses prescribed, okay? The things that Moses came and gave as the law of God, which, by the way, Abraham was counted faithful apart from the law. And Paul makes this, makes this point. But the idea is that if I will do what the law says, and that doing is understood as works, Right? If I'll do what the law says, then it will be the substance of my justification before God. That that's, really, that's really the core of when I have to answer to God, when I have to, because that's a fundamental Jewish belief, that I will be held accountable for the things that I do. Uh, it's, a, it's fundamental uh, in the Christian world, and I would argue that there's not much difference between the two. We'll talk about that another week. But, but it, it is a fundamental understanding that I'm going to have to answer to God, and the basis of my justification before God, meaning is he going to judge me to be right or wrong, is the doing of the law. Right? So the words here are pretty strong. Repent from dead works. The immediate question is, well, wait, well, okay, wait a minute. 
the works that I'm doing are not dead. The works that I'm doing are the basis and the substance of my justification before God. That would be the, the, the Jewish understanding of it is through a grid of I'm doing the works of the law. But how do we understand it? What are our, what are our works? What are, and, and, and also in the time there's Hellenistic Judaism and there's all sorts of pagan, pagan cultures. But the basic idea and all these philosophical ideas was that there's a performance that has to take place in order to be justified in, order, in front of whatever deity I'm serving. You guys with me? What does that look like in our Western world? We always look back and go, man, that's silly. <laughs> what does that look like in our Western world? What does that look like? And here's, here's what first thing came into my mind. What about our totally individualistic American culture? What do dead works look like? What are the works that we believe? I mean, what, what is the foundation of our, of our culture and our society? It's individualism, isn't it? That my ability to distinguish myself apart from the crowd, my ability to climb the ladder, my ability to succeed, my my ability to be able to, when compared with my peers, to be far and above, to stand out. This is the substance of my justification in society. And we're not careful, that begins to slip into church. My ability to perform for God, my ability to be or do all of the right Christian things, my ability to stand out from the people that are in uh, in my peers, group that are all believers, but it's this individualistic idea that if I propel myself far enough, it's the substance of my identity and my justification. Are you with me? This is what I see at play in our culture. It's called, uh, well, then on the other side, well, not on the other side, but along with that is this extreme, I would say extreme hedonism. And, and hedonism is basically this idea that pleasure is the highest, uh, highest form of gratification. You see that in our culture at all? That the aim and, the, and the, the trajectory of your life ought to be set in order to gratify your desires, to get the most amount of pleasure. Now, I want to tell you, hedonism is very moralistic because it would say that, uh, that also you can't infringe on someone else's rights, but you got to get yours, Right? That, and so we justify our hedonism by saying, well, I'm not, I'm not infringing on someone else's rights. I'm not, I'm not pushing someone else aside. But the goal of my life is to arrive at the greatest and highest point of, uh, of pleasure. And I think these, these two things are huge in our culture. It's this individualism. It's a hedonism that really defines our American culture. And here's the deal. I really believe, and, and we've got to ask ourselves, we're the church. Has this crept into the church? Has this idea, and I already spoke to it a little bit, but has this idea of individualism crept into the church? Look around, friends. How many famous Christian speakers, artists, all that kind of stuff do you know? The Christian pop culture, the fact that that even exists, blows my mind. We live in a day in Western Christianity, I mean, it, it, there's nowhere else like it, nowhere else where you see Christianity do you see this sort of obsession with, with specific leaders, and it's so widespread. That we view a holy walk with God as someone else's ability to teach or obtain a platform and then distinguish themselves from everybody else. We become so numb to what it looks like to even live in community. We all come in a room together where the chairs facing. Right here. 
We never even realize that we're here for one another. And look, I'm I, obviously guilty. Where are the chairs? I'm standing here, right? So I got a part to play here. But we've become obsessed with individualism within the body of Christ. It's, it's about how do you distinguish yourself? You know where I, th- where I see this the worst? And I'm not going to go on a rant about it because I don't understand it at all much. But, but social media is crazy. And, and if you just take... Take everyone else out of social media and just look at believers. Man, how much of our, of our uh, time spent on social media is in an attempt to distinguish our own holiness and righteousness from other, other people? Isn't that just crazy that we're even saying that? We want to look like the most spiritual people. So, you know, it's like if you can see my feet up and my Bible out and the sunrise, like I'm spiritual. What are you doing taking a picture? If God is present, why is your phone out? If you're enjoying the presence of God, what in the world are you doing posting that? God's right there, right? (laughs) Why are you on your phone? (laughs) Right? But why do we do that? And then then here's the deal. We We look at everybody else's and we go, man, they beat me. That's a better sunset than mine was. They had that right filter and it just looks like the angels are coming in. Look, I'm I'm overblowing it so I don't hurt your feelings. It's real. We're laughing. You did it this morning. We're obsessed with distinguishing ourselves from one another, and we've forgotten that Christ died so that none would be individual. That we would all fall into one community to lift up one individual, and that's the person of Christ. There's only one that's distinguished, and it's the head. We serve as the ones that are to exalt and glorify the head, which is Christ Jesus. Your individuality that God has given you, and he has. He's gifted each one of you uniquely and for a purpose. But the reason is not so you can stand out. The reason is so you can help the body grow and exalt Christ. You with me? So we have to ask, has, have these dead works, has this individuality permeated the church? Man, has hedonism permeated the church two weeks ago i'm not gonna you may feel like if this is your first time here i'm not always this mean but sometimes two or three weeks ago when was it is chelsea here or heather okay this is two or three weeks ago you guys came and made an announcement for children's church they came and made an announcement they needed lifeguards doesn't that sound like like the greatest job of all a lifeguard for the kids. Some of you were like puke and gag. I do not want to do that. That sounds awful. Some of you are like, ooh, that fits my spiritual gifts test. Right? Here's the deal. You want to you want to know in this room, and I'm look, I, you came in here, so I have permission that you you chose to sit down, so you're gonna listen. You know how many people signed up that day when they said we need people to invest in the lives of our kids? You want to know how many people went over to that table and signed up? This many. Shame on us. That the call would go out to invest in the lives of younger people. And our our inventory is, I wonder if I have time for that. I wonder if that is really where I'm gifted. 
We've bought into this hedonism. We've bought into this, well, if it doesn't serve my pleasure, if I can't have a fancy tweet about it at the end of the day, then I, then I don't want to do it. If it, doesn't, if it doesn't exalt me, if it doesn't make me feel good, then I'm not going to do it. The last thing I want to do as a Christian is be uncomfortable. What? What Bible are we reading? Christ died for your comfort. And I'm broken that this reality of dying to ourselves and living on behalf of somebody else, and nobody may ever know your name, but living for the promotion of somebody else is gone and absent for the most part in Western church. Have we bought into hedonism? Absolutely. We have believed that our fundamental right is our pleasure and our promotion. And it is to the detriment of the body of Christ Because we have forgotten what it means that to live, you have to die. And to be first, you have to be last. And we're more worried about whether this fits into my agenda than we are about pouring our lives out as a drink offering on behalf of somebody else. You with me? I'm pushing a little bit and it's because it's real. I think we really have to ask ourselves these questions. And I'm not, I'm not pointing at you. Look, it's right here too. And it is so easy to get that, that word that our right. It's my right. You died to your rights when you became a believer. You said, I don't want those anymore. My rights, my individuality, it's gone. I'm, I'm done with it. I want only to be used to exalt Christ. I'm a bond servant. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. Whatever he wants, my life is his. That's what you signed up for. If somebody duped you and tricked you and said becoming a Christian is all happy and smiles and you don't have to ever give or do anything else for anybody else, you got sold the wrong gospel. Because the gospel says to live, you have to die. And so your first move of becoming a Christian was dying. It's a good start, right? Most religions don't preach that. Hey, you want to come die, right? And we've thought to get more people, let's not preach that either. Hmm. All right. I got to be done. Ooh, and I bet you're glad. This was a hard one for me. Man, I see this bad in my own life. You know what was the worst for me? Can I just be honest with you? This is where God, you know, God has been working on me, and it's, it's a long story. I'm not going to tell it, but uh, God has really been working on me in the area of pride. And you know what this one highlighted for me? This, we're talking about hedonism and individuality. Is that some, and God pointed the mirror right back at me as I'm preparing this message. And he goes, you know how sometimes you like it when people fail? And I went, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't do that. And he said, yeah, you do. <laughs> this is how I talk to God. <laughs> So you know how sometimes your flesh rises up and you get pleasure out of somebody else's failure because in some way it points back to maybe you're better or you're more successful or you could do it in a better way. And so you, on, on the outside you go, oh, I'm sorry you failed. And on the inside you're going, yes, look at what that shows about me. Ugh. That's, a, that's a dagger to realize to realize that I bought into my flesh in such a way that I would smile on the inside if somebody else failed as long as it promotes me. I'm dealing with that right now, friends. I'm, I'm, 
oh, and it's hard to tell you, but I got to tell you, that's where I'm struggling right now. And God is pulling back the layers of my own heart, even as I'm sharing this with you. But he says this, he says, so we've got to repent. That's a huge deal, repent. We must repent from dead works in all of it. Like we just kind of looked at several different categories of what dead works are. And he says, here's the, here's the foundation. Here's the beginning. Here's the overall repent from dead works. No matter how that fits, because we just named a bunch of different categories. You may fit in, a, in, in one or all those different categories of dead works. It's all the same. Repent, turn from dead works. And then here's the, the key that we're going to talk about next week. I know it's a weird place to leave you, but we're going to have to do it. Uh, repent from dead works and faith toward God. And so we're going to talk about what that means next week. Unfortunately, we need to be done. James said that faith without works is dead, right? And we quote that all the time. But dead works require no faith in order to be produced. We can go on producing dead works. Faith without works is dead, but dead works get produced without faith all the time. It's not a matter of not working. It's just a matter of what is the, what is the initiator of the work that's being produced in your life. Let's pray. God, help us to understand these passages. God, I, man, help me with my pride. Thank you for the, for the wake-up call. And I just pray that that would happen in each of our lives, that we would be woken up, that you would shake us, that you would make us aware of, of where we need to repent and where we need to turn. And I pray, Father, by the work of your Holy Spirit, as only you can do, that you would deal kindly with us, that you would show us our areas of weakness only to build us and strengthen us as a body to glorify you. So we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sorry, this was a tough one. Next week will be light and fluffy. Don't you know it? Just kidding. All right, I'll see you all next week.